Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio on location uh, from XL Energy Center, the the broadcast booth of Valley Sports North. Uh, We're uh, we're interrupting a, uh, is this a union break or no? Okay, they're not not a union break. No, the red light's not on. Okay. So at this point, we could talk to them about television and they'd have to answer us. Right, they're not. They're uh, technically working it. I know sometimes you can't tell when they're working and when they're not. Especially the audio department, they tend to just kind of stand around and play video games on hey, their John, phone. Hey, John, do you want to join the pod real quick? Like, is there really, so did you guys actually put up that red light because Anthony was interrupting all your union breaks when you weren't? Yes, that's correct. We yeah. did put it up because we, Anthony is always interrupting us. We needed to know when they were on break or not because I couldn't tell. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's, it's, so everybody in the broadcast crew, they're in, the, they're in a union, but when they are on break, you cannot talk to them or they, they could charge you. Well, they get to start their break over. Yeah. So we can talk, but it just can't be about TV. Right. So sometimes we'll talk crossword puzzles or we'll talk about great TV shows that we're watching in the booth, but we cannot talk to them about TV during that union break. I, I do think that you have to be careful here because they could technically, like we are interrupting them getting ready for your broadcast. This could be a grievance yeah, this, filed with the union well, against they, you, this is just which further, I'm all for, by the way. This is just kind of further proof that I don't know what the hell they do up here all day. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, in a little while, he's going to come over here and he's going to like count to 11 on a microphone and he thinks it's like some kind of major project. It takes... That is true. <laughs> That's right. So. It, I, I can't be bothered by those kind of things. I have very important prep to do. So tonight, if you're watching Valley Sports North and you can't hear Anthony, you know that this is why, by the way, that one, they did it purposely, or two, we are interrupting their actual ability to set you up for your broadcast, and the thing they might forget is your headset. Well, they all, no, they just, they claim it's to try to make us look good, and I say, well, they've been failing for as long as I've been in the TV business. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that is definitely, uh, if you didn't hear that, John made a very good point. It's very hard to make Anthony uh, sound good, but he's doing his best. All right, so we are back here at XL Energy Center. Um, new coach from the last time we were here, uh, Anthony, uh, Colorado Avalanche game, was uh, was which the Wild played quite well in and didn't win, was uh, Dean's final game here, his final game in Detroit. Um, the Wild com- completely outshot and outplayed the Red Wings for most of the game. But again, their special teams failed them. Their top players didn't score. And here we are um, on uh, w- one day after the news that John Hines was taken over for Dean Evison. And the, those games you just mentioned are a microcosm of this season. Mm-hmm. When the Wild have played well enough to win, they just haven't finished enough. They haven't gotten enough saves. They've run into some bad luck from time to time, some strange calls, tough schedule, all of that. But bottom line is, if you lose seven games in a row, your job's on the line in this league. And you could feel it. I thought we, I think we talked on last week's show that we were comparing what was happening with this team to when you were in the final stages of Mike Yo's time here, Bruce Boudreaux's time here. And I made the comment that in both of those cases, I really felt like you could tell the coach had lost the team. And I never felt that with this team until that game in Detroit. It looked, for the first time, it really just looked like a team. Not that they were blaming the coaches or that the coaches had lost them, but it was the first time that I thought the team looked lost. Mm -hmm. They looked like they were looking at each other with, how in the hell did we get to this point? Yeah, How in the hell did we get from a team that, was coming off consecutive 100-point seasons, thinking another one was in front of us, and now all of a sudden, here we are, losing every night, finding ways to lose, and completely unable to finish plays. I thought that was the first night, and I think Billy alluded to that today when he addressed the media just saying... Felt like something was wrong. Felt like something was wrong. And then nothing was going to change. Right. I mean, they're 0-2-2 since he read them the riot act uh, before they went to Sweden. Uh, so that so they're playing better, but yet still not finding right. ways and to it, get in wins. In all four and, of those games, they were probably yeah. the better team. Colorado, I wouldn't say they were the better team, but they played well enough to win. Mm-hmm. The other three, they were the better team, and just could not finish. And I walked by Billy during the, I think it was the second intermission in Detroit, and as I was walking by him, I just said, "It's unbelievable to me how you've got an entire team." that just seems to be gripping the sticks right yeah. now to the point yeah. where nobody can make a play. Yeah, 
it totally. I mean, how many chances do they have that they just cannot do it? And um, and it starts it's from Kaprizov and Boldy to all the role players down the line up to their captain. There nobody is scoring right now. They're not getting the big saves when they needed to. Um, you know, uh, Philly is trying to be patient with guys like Kaprizov and and Boldy. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and what John Hines can potentially do for them in a, in a couple seconds. Um, but but you know, the, like. Philly was not happy with Kaprizov's game against Detroit or Ottawa and before that, and and Boldy is just struggling right now, and they're trying to you know now go from tough love to sh- being really patient with him, and he is going through a ton. This kid's 22 years old. This is the first time in his life that he's dealing with any sorts of struggles like this, and so we'll talk a bit about that. Some behind-the-scenes stuff, and by the way, our next live show is December 13th at Split Rocks. Um, we'll have, uh, again, if you get there early, you can buy a pint of, uh, go- uh, um, of uh, Grain Belt, and uh, you get a free... Uh, the glass that it comes in is the worst seats in the house, grain belt glass, so you can keep that for free. But get there early for that game, for that seven o'clock show. But get there around six, eat and and uh, get that free uh, worst seats uh, pint glass with the pint of uh, grain belt that you're paying for. Um, so the behind the scenes stuff is, as you mentioned, like you know, I'm watching that game from home. Uh, Joe Smith covered that game, and and uh, you know, you just know as a beat writer when all right, things have changed, right? And I've been doing a lot of behind the scenes work and Dean was really safe in the last couple of weeks. And, but there just comes a point where the, the, the losing becomes too much to handle. And so I made a bunch of calls that night after the team landed and I just started to get the sense that things were changed. Um, actually went home, almost completely wrote, rewrote our, anybody that reads the athletic knows that we were basically predicting that Dean was going to be fired on, on Monday, uh, basically rewrote that mailbag to basically reflect the fact that he was no longer safe and that was in deep, deep trouble. And um, the one thing, again, if you read the mailbag, if you listen to last week's uh, podcast, is John Hines just made the most logical sense to me. John Cooper's not out there, folks. Um, and if you just look at the history of, of Bill Guerin, you got to look at who he's got relationships with. And, and John Hines just made all the sense in the world. Ray Shiro, a senior advisor, hired him in Wilkes-Barre. He hired him in uh, New Jersey. Um, they go back to the U.S. development team when <laughs> Bill Guerin in 1998 was on a contract holdout with the with the New Jersey Devils and, and, and went to the Ann Arbor program and, and was skating with that team and got to know John Hines then. And then uh, there's just a lot of funny stories in my article that's up today about their history and, and things like that. Um, but to also just uh, talk about Dean Evison for a little more and the type of man he is. So y- yesterday, the wheels are in motion to put John Hines in place. They had asked permission for Nashville. They had to work out a contract when all that was done. Dean, uh, Billy called Dean Evison and asked him to come to his office. Well, Dean's not an idiot. Anybody knows that when you're getting that call on a off day at three three forty five p.m. Um, that that it's not good news. And he walks into Billy's office and says, "He's firing me, bud." And and that's how it just you know he took like took all the pressure off Billy. And um and Dean and Billy sat there for a half hour and reflected on their time together. And it was just a really mature conversation. Uh, and Anthony, I know that that does not shock you. You, you became really tight with Dean. We've talked about on the show before golfing buddies and things like that. Um, I don't think he thought you were as good a golfer as you think you are. No, I know that to be a true by the way. And, um, actually I think we had the same assessment on my golf game that he kept inviting me because it meant I was funding the rest of the group in the gambling games that went on with it. But it, Dean was a high, a high quality guy a first class guy and that all the things you just mentioned are one of the reasons why these days are really, they're no fun in this line of work. And I was talking a little bit with Margo on my way down here and it's, it's kind of like the feeling that you get when a playoff season or playoff series ends. You're with these guys every day for six months. You see them at the rink, you're on the bus with them, you're on the plane with them for me with the head coach, I'm talking one-on-one with him away from the rest of the media every single day. And he was incredibly helpful to me. He was always fair. He was always honest. He was always willing to tell me what was happening because he knew I needed it for my game prep and that I wasn't going to share it and put him in a bad spot. And that didn't come at the start. I had to, we, we developed that relationship, but from the beginning, he was always honest. And just a guy that I learned a lot from him. He was always willing to, if he'd say something and I'd say, I don't understand what that means. He'd explain it. Yeah. Like when I'm talking about our defensive zone rotations or our penalty kill, or it was, he was just such a, a quality person that way. And I saw how hard these guys work, not just Dean, but his entire staff, no staff 
worked any harder than, than the time those guys put in, the effort they put in. And so, as I was saying, when you, when a playoff series ends, the finality that hits for six months, I've been talking about this team, thinking about this team, wondering what we should talk about on the next show, prepping for the next game. And then in a blink of an eye, it's gone. And you mm-hmm. just shut it off. And this is kind of the same way because I was just thinking about what he's going through today. You know, the way we look at the schedule in July, we start looking at, Hey, we got an off night in Pittsburgh on this trip. And we've got an off night in Vegas on this trip. And, and now all of a sudden he wakes up this morning absolutely nothing to do yeah it's just it's weird and and from a personal standpoint and i know we get social media fans that oh it's time to go the guy couldn't do this he couldn't do that he couldn't do this and i always want to just say look, this is a person with a family that has been poured their heart and soul into the minnesota wild for the last what five seasons yeah and and before that he was here right as an assistant coach and and so has given everything he had to give to Mm -hmm. this and Right or wrong, head coaches are the guys that pay the price when yeah. a team struggles the way they did. Yeah, and, we've talked about that a ton. Right. I texted with him this morning and just thanked him for everything and just said, hey, I hope we, I know we'll see him behind a bench very, very soon. soon. Yeah. He, and he will have success wherever he goes. And For a and, team with dead cap money that is as large as the Wilds, he coached his team to 200 points. Right. Last and, year when they had injuries in the playoffs, each year they had major injuries. He's got to put Sam Steele on the top line, and the other teams get to elevate Tyler Sagan. Right. I mean, that's just the way that this life works as a coach of the Minnesota Wild. It was especially during this time, yeah. and they had made the heap. Both he and Billy had made the comment playing with a hand tied behind mm-hmm. your back, and they did that, but never made excuses for it. Just I don't care. Next guy up, go play. Yeah. And you got a Minnesota Wild logo on the front of your sweater. That means yeah. go play. And. For all, he never made excuses for that, and even in the little exchange I had with him this morning, there were no excuses. It was no unfair or woe is me. Yeah, it was just 100%. this is. Yep. And and I go back to you made the the story you told about Billy and Dean sounds remarkably like Chuck Fletcher and Mike Yo. Hundred percent. When Chuck and they shared a cry in, and a beer, right? And yep. Chuck walked in and knew he had to fire him. Yo knew he had to be fired, mm-hmm. and both respected each other. And and I think. Billy has that respect for Dean and uh, that, that will probably, uh, don't be surprised if that resurfaces somewhere yeah. again down the road. I, uh, I shared a couple hilarious texts with him yesterday where we were talking about our relationship and how it was probably better that I didn't read my quote, you know, my sounds like hit, um, you know, but then last night I got a text from him at like 1am and goes, now I can read your hit. And you know, so, so like, uh, you know, it just, it just shows you. Um, and I do think like, he was fine all day yesterday after being fired. He shared a bunch of a really nice night with some people that he's close to within the organization. And, but you're right. I mean, as days go by here, probably that, you know, it's like morning, right? It's now going to turn to anger. And I, this was unfair. So one day, you know, you wake up today and you got nothing to do and it's eight degrees out. You can't go golf. It's probably takes a little, uh, you know, getting used to. Well, yeah, just think about that. That's so again, going back to what the point I was making is just that sometimes people lose sight of that. These are people. Yeah. And, they have friends, they have families, and think about what it's like to wake up this morning in downtown St. Paul, and instead of walking to the rink, you've already been thinking for a couple days now about what you were going to do against the St. Louis Blues tonight, to shut that off, and where do you go? Yeah. What do you do? You, yeah. you just, you can't go over to the TRIA facility like you did every day, because he was a big workout guy, and a, you know, you can't go do that, so you just go to lunch and walk, yeah. walk, walk around St. Paul yeah. by yourself. I remember and, when, I, when and, Bruce Boudreaux was fired, he didn't come out of his house for like a week. I, I finally got him out to Delwood country club for an inter- interview, but you know, it's, it, you know, you come to that point too, where you just don't want to be seen because then you worry that people are looking at you and feeling sorry for you and all that type of stuff. Right. No, just to show you also how, I mean, just, I think about how far he came too as a coach, like, you know, he was Milwaukee Admirals coach. He's brought here by Paul Fenton to be a assistant coach. He's elevated out of the blue. I don't think any of us had our radar up in mid February that that was the time that you're going to fire Bruce. I think the countless times earlier in the season, when we thought that that was the time that would be when he was fired. And he's, if you remember his first presser, it's a, it's at a backdrop. Look at the interview. He is scared to death, you know, because he will come to the rink that day, having no idea he was going to become the head coach of the wild. And I remember after that interview, he and I walked outside and had a little conversation because he didn't know me. Well, he just knew me as somebody that he thought was very tight with Bruce and didn't like Paul Fenton. 
and he was Paul Fenton's guy. And he's like, I hope you don't hold this stuff against me. And I told him, like, I have covered this league for more than two decades. I've covered coaching searches. I've coached, covered new coaches, coaches fired that I'm friends with, coaches that I'm not. And that's the world of beat writing. Like, do not worry about my professionalism. And from that point on, he and I were fine. And you think about what he achieved here, a 642 points percentage, um, you know, the fiery nature of his overtime wins and everything. I mean, he, he was very comfortable in his own skin at the end. Yeah, and did all of that while playing mm-hmm. 14 million, well, 12 and a half million the first couple of years, 14 and a half million under the cap, where he, he always had a team that was just slightly up against it when you ran into the elite teams. And I remember I talked to him the, the day that this all happened as well and and found out, well, it was the day after, I guess, that because that day we coached a game. But the when we sat down and just talked about how different he thought he would have to be as a head coach as opposed to an assistant coach. And he said, I don't think I have to be any different. I want to be the same guy. And he was so inclusive with his staff. And that continued. It never changed to where, hey, all of a sudden I'm the head guy. So now I'm the guy who's going to do this and say this. And it was always our power play, our penalty kill, our breakout, our defensive zone coverage, our forecheck, whatever it is. And and as we learned over the years, he had different coaches in there addressing the team at intermissions right. and all those kind of things. And so all of that is is all true. And I don't want to make this sound like this guy was a martyr and because now let's flip the page to the reality of the world of sports. Every head coach knows they're going to get fired. Yep. And if they don't, they're a fool. Every head coach gets fired. And most of them make a great living while they're the head coach. And this is part of the reason, this is part of the downside to that. As you know, that right or wrong, when the team starts to struggle, you're mm-hmm. going to be the guy on the chopping block. And he was. So we're not, we don't, we're not trying to make this sound like Dean yeah. was unfairly. He's getting a nice severance, he's making great two severance, million, about right. two million. And, and he made his two million a year while coaching. And, and this is all part of it. You make yeah. that kind of a living when you're doing it because. It's a very sh- short shelf life, and for him, he had to be. I was thinking about this last night. Like, how many coaches around the league right now were longer tenured with their current team than Dean Evison? Yeah, not many. I not mean, many. probably a handful. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that for a minute, that you know, he took over in 2020, so he hasn't even been the head coach for four calendar years, and yet was probably in the top. I'm just guessing six, seven, eight coaches max for how long they've been with their current club. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about John Hines after the break. And I, I do want to, you, you mentioned the loyalty and how he always protected his assistants. Uh, I do have a quick point on that. But first, here's a word from Bowen Lodge on Lake Winnebagashish. Since 1925, Bowen Lodge has built its reputation as a world-class resort for walleye fishermen visiting northern Minnesota, as well as a premier vacation destination for families seeking the Northwoods experience. Bowen has been owned and operated by the High family for over 40 years and across three generations. Families continue to make Bowen Lodge their home away from home. Traditions have been forged around the campfire, at the beach, on a sunset pontoon ride, or around the cabin. Bowen's five-star location within the Chippewa National Forest allows guests to escape the noise of everyday life, literally and figuratively. Enjoy comfortable cabins overlooking Lake Winnebagashish, plus a marina that benefits from the calm, protected waters of Cutfoot Sioux Lake. Amenities like fiber internet, AC, and fully equipped kitchens also allow guests to enjoy peace at the lake with the same conveniences of home. The resort is situated at the end of the road in the middle of the woods, giving guests a true experience in the wild north. It's where eagles soar above your cabin and the call of the loons echoes over the lake. At Bowen Lodge, you become family. Start your journey at bowenlodge.com. I've got something remarkable to share with you. In my home, I've installed a Connecticut water treatment system, and it's been an absolute game changer. I take my home's water quality seriously, and the Connecticut system has transformed my daily life. No more worrying about hard water issues or impurities. My water is consistently soft, crystal clear, and perfect for drinking. It's like having a freshwater spring right in my home. A Connecticut is the real deal, and I couldn't be happier with the peace of mind it's brought me. If you haven't already, you've got to consider con- contacting Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut for your own free water analysis. Trust me. This is an investment you won't want to miss. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. That's why I do it every week on this show. Or just click away at AquariusHomeServices.com and don't forget to mention Russo sent you. And here's a word from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. A guaranteed cash offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate is exactly what you need right now. 
Everyone can see the real estate market is cooling off quickly. Well, don't be one of the houses that doesn't sell. Be a smart seller and get a guaranteed cash offer today. There are no commissions, no repairs, and no open houses. Chris Lindahl Real Estate's guaranteed offer puts you in control so you can sell your home fast. The economy and housing market are becoming more uncertain, and homeowners just like you want to make sure you cash in on your equity. And that's why thousands of clients work with Chris Lindahl Real Estate. They have over 4,000 five-star reviews because their guaranteed offer works. You sell your home quickly, stress-free, and move when it's convenient for you. Just go to chrislindahl.com for a free, no-obligation, guaranteed cash offer. It's available 24 hours a day. They'll make you an as-is cash offer on your home fast. Whether it's a total fixer-upper or in perfect condition, Chrislindahl Real Estate's guaranteed cash offer is the easiest way to sell your home. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, go to chrislindahl.com right now and start packing. Terms and conditions apply. Back here, worst seats in the house. Michael Russo, Anthony Lapanta, high above XL Energy Center's ice, uh, December thirteenth. We're in the worst seats in the house. Yeah, we are. We are definitely in the worst seats in the house. Um, Now I know why you stand. I can't even see the ice from here. Um, So again, December thirteenth at Split Rocks at seven p.m. is our next live show. Um, One thing I did want to say on Dean Evison, and and by the way, I was told that Bob Woods really took it well yesterday and totally understood that they just sort of ran out of answers, especially for the PK. But look, uh, you know, there are guys that have underachieved this year. Jake Middleton, uh, Jonas Bordeen's been on the ice for 15 of 23 PK goals. Jared Spurgeon's been on ice for six out of six. No points. I think Bob Woods understood it was time. But one thing I do think that, you know, and again, I respect it, uh, but the loyalty that Dean Evison had, one reason that I think, one thing that probably worked against Dean is that I think, personally, at the end of last season, that, that Bill Guerin wanted to make a change on the PK and probably let go Woods then. And if you remember, it, it's public record. We wrote about it after the press conference, but Dean pulled Billy into an office. They went through all nine penalty kill goals um, uh, during, the, uh, during the playoff series against Dallas. And Dean basically showed him, like, what adjustments do you want to make here? This is a bad goal. This is a lost faceoff and, uh, through a screen. This is a, like all different types of goals and basically saved Bob Woods' job, I think. And I think that their penalty kill is now the worst in the league, 10 times worse than we even saw in the playoffs. I think that probably also worked against uh, Dean. Yeah, probably. And boy, if you start to talk about it as a human, if one of the flaws that costs you is that you have loyalty to those who work around you, that's hard to fault a guy. And I I think the penalty kill, if you just look at it, this right now, this team is giving up. They've given up 21 more goals than they had through this many games last year. Mm -hmm. And that's about a goal a game. Most of that's the penalty kill. Penalty kill was 10th in the league last season. It's 32nd right now. And just clean that up, and you've got a team that's probably sitting somewhere in the middle of the pack right now around a 500 mark, and and we're not having this conversation. And I I felt like they might have been a little slow to adjust. I don't know for sure what was causing some of the problems on the kill, but I know they had come into the season trying to have two different looks on the penalty kill. They simplified that before they went to Sweden and said, we're just going back to to one system. And if you had just been serviceable on the kill, we'd be, this team would be in a very different spot right now. Right. It's probably four or five games in the standings that that has cost them. And I do think there are a couple of extenuating circumstances there. One is you did play, was it the first 12 games of the season without Jared Spurgeon, who's arguably your best penalty-killing defenseman. Last year was fourth in the league in penalty-kill blocks. You were without Freddie Gaudreau for a pretty good chunk of the season. He's been one of your most reliable penalty killers, a good face-off guy on the right-hand side. So they had a couple things that probably made it, what would have been a problem, made it even worse. It wasn't good enough, and it isn't good enough to be. You can't be dead last in the league on the penalty kill and expect to stay competitive. And what the other part of it was was that this team just couldn't score their way mm-hmm. out of trouble like they could a couple of years ago. They just haven't been able to do that yet this year. So every time they gave up a penalty kill goal, it seemed like it swung a game mm-hmm. and put it out of reach. All right, let's talk about John Hines uh, from from Rhode Island. Went to Boston University, uh, career coach, uh, assistant coach at BU, and then went to the U.S. program. Then was a uh, went over to Wisconsin. That's where he met his wife, who is a I believe a standout volleyball player at the Badgers. She's from uh, Hammond, Wisconsin. They have three daughters. 
Um, long time history with Bill Guerin. I think I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and please read my story on their relationship because I, um, it, there are a lot of funny, funny stories. Let's talk about him as a coach. Obviously, you know, people have latched on to the fact that, that as an NHL head coach, he, he's only made the playoffs a couple of times, hasn't gotten them, his team through a playoff round series. So, um, in their minds, a lot of fans have looked at this as an underwhelming, uh, choice. What's funny to me is that fans, especially the ones that even wanted Dean fired, were acting like they were going to get Scotty Bowman or John Cooper. Like, I don't know what they thought was going to happen here if you fired Dean, but, but uh, John Hines was always the logical choice. He didn't need to be a beat writer to figure that out. Just look at the history. When Ray Shiro, the senior advisor for Bill Guerin, is the one that's hired him in Wilkes-Barre in New Jersey, they have a long history together that just makes made the most logical sense. Um, so we talk about his team's success, but let's look at the individuals. There has been a lot of guys that have had career years on the room. He coached Taylor Hall during a uh, Hart Trophy winning uh, campaign for Taylor Hall. So you look at Kirill Kaprizov, could he help him get to the top level of his game? He went to Nashville and he obviously got Matt Duchesne's head out of his butt after being in a really bad place for a while. Ryan Johansson played much, much better. Mikhail Granlund started looking like an NHL player again. Saros was unbelievable. Um, uh, Yossi won a Norris trophy there uh, while he was the coach. And if you think about it, when he took over for Peter Laviolette, that was a broken team. And then before the pandemic interrupted that season, they were 16-10-1. and and, and the difference, though, is that they're riding the backs of an all-world goalie, getting elite goaltending. Um, can Philip Gustafson or Marc-Andre Fleury deliver him elite goaltending right now, Anthony? Because that is the key. Uh, you know, as the old adage, show me a good goaltender, I'll show you a great coach, show me a, you know, a, a crappy. I'm trying to make Brandon not have to edit this. Uh, <laughs> crappy goaltender, and I'll show you a shoddy coach. Um, you know, so... Can can they can he get because that to me is the biggest thing. We could all talk about Boldy and Kaprizov and all that. So they got to defend better and they got to get a save. Well, no question. And show me a team that's got the thirty second best save percentage, and I'll show you a coach that's on his way out the door. I mean, that's the way it's been for Minnesota this year. And I think right now, coming into tonight's game, they've passed a couple teams, might be thirtieth in the league, but eighty seven point eight percent. You cannot win with an 87-8 save percentage. Same two goaltenders were third in the league last year. So that's yet to be seen. I think there are some things that, and I, I don't I don't know John Hines very well, just met him this morning, didn't really watch his teams that closely when he was a coach in either New Jersey or Nashville. New Jersey we'd see twice a year. Nashville, he was there for a short time. I think the year that he when you look at individuals that had big seasons, the one that's significant is Taylor Hall because it was so different from any other season he had had. It was a Hart Trophy winner on a team that finished fifth, which I think is is significant. To say that he had a major impact on Yossi or Saros, I don't know. Yossi was a, <laughs> yeah, I know. He was a, a guy who was going to be mentioned as a Norris. Well, that was one unbelievable year. It was an unbelievable year, but like you also mentioned the – I mean, they went 16-11-1 after he got hired. It isn't like they went 23-3. and Right. And he did get them into the playoffs. The playoffs were expanded that year. It was coincidentally the same year that Dean took over midway through that season with Minnesota, went 8-4 and four down the stretch and got the Wild into a, the expanded playoffs, and both of them ended up losing in the first round. I think what will be interesting to see is who benefits from it. And if you remember when... Everson took over the guy who had the biggest jump that spring was Kevin Fiala. He had like a point and a quarter a game the rest of the way down the stretch. Zach Parisi was good down the stretch as well. It, it's some, it's interesting how sometimes you'll, you'll get a guy who I don't think there were guys on this team that were just butting heads with Dean Everson, but you just never know what a fresh voice might do to free up a player. Well, and we'll see who yeah. that is. I think with Hines, the jury's out. You got to see what happens. He's, He's had some success. His teams have never finished better than fifth in a division ever in his time. He got into the playoffs as a wild card a couple of teams, a couple times as the last team in, including two years ago in Nashville. Last year, just barely missed the playoffs in Nashville, and and then the Predators decided to move on. So he's had success, but you know we'll, we got to see what happens. And anytime you put a new voice, they might be saying exactly the same thing, right. but just using a little different methodology, a little different terminology. Maybe they say it in a way that 
that just connects with a player mm-hmm. a little differently. And we'll see. I, there will be somebody whose game takes off under a new coach. Open and, that boldly. And and there might be somebody who goes the other way, who all of a sudden just feels like, boy, I, it, everything was great for me with my relationship with Dean, and now it's not quite the same here. We'll have to wait to see. And sometimes yeah. you never know who that guy might be. Yeah, Because as it turns out, yeah. Kevin Fiala was like the bane of Dean Evison here, but it was, <laughs> but that first yeah. season when he took over, yeah. all of a sudden his game took off. And if you remember when they went up to play that bubble playoff series, Fiala was every bit as dominant as we've ever yeah, seen yeah, Kirill yeah. Kaprizov. Yeah. He was on the ice for every scoring yeah. chance. He was, it seemed yeah. like he was and getting every, penalty, every other shift. Right. And it was, he just was the man. Yeah. And it turned out that those two were oil and water, but it, it at that time it was a great, jolt for his game yeah i i agree with you um you know like and 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 to your point on voices like and you're right i mean you hope that nobody goes the other way because right now to me in my eyes there's three players playing well in this team and that's erickson eck faber and boldy and uh sorry and uh and rossi and you don't want them to go the other way but there's a lot of guys that need to go the other way positively um but uh, to your point on new voices like i was even just talking to somebody on the phone about this a, a, a gm in the league and I was saying that, you know, like as a former player, I bet that you get the whole new voice thing because, because there's, there is like one, it's now on you, but two, there is an excitement level. Not that anybody wanted Dean fired, but there, when you're here for five years and you start hearing the same thing every day, it just becomes like just white noise. Yeah. White noise. And you get a new coach and there's like this sort of like invigoration. Like, and even me as a beat writer, I felt that like, you know, I did trust me. I wasn't sitting there looking and campaigning for Dean Everson to be fired and, Frankly, I, I was the other opinion. I just think it wouldn't have been bad to ride this out and see if they can get a top, top pick, and maybe they still will. Who knows? But from my perspective, even just listening to a new coach today, now it's like you're, you're writing about a new guy. You're writing a new story. You're trying to introduce who this person is to a fan base, and there's just an excitement level to that. And so I bet it's the same thing in, in the locker room. I just think the fans need to give John Hines a, a chance. It's The negativity out there is incredible to me. I get it everybody's pissed off. Now suddenly the pressure is on Bill Guerin and people are looking at him and analyzing his moves and the situation that they feel that um, he's put this team in, but you got to give the new coach a chance to just lambaste him off the bat without seeing him do a play a coach a game here is ridiculous. And, and trust me, I no offense, everybody, but I follow you. You know, I see your, your tweets on Twitter. I think that the majority of uh, fans in this town think the only good coach of this team would be themselves. Um, so I mean, and I got news for you. None of you would be the right coach for this team. <laughs> I mean, it's just everybody's got the answers, and it's just uh, sometimes it's just amazing to me. You know, this guy's a career coach. He's been everywhere. He's in the program. Talked to Patrick Kane, a lot of people in this league. They loved him as a coach, and he's coached some incredible players, uh, you know, from his days um, at BU and all the USA hockey game, games that he's co- coached as well. Um, he's coached three players on this team, so uh, let's give him a chance. Um, let's talk about Matt Boldy. And it was a big topic, uh, in today's, uh, press conference where Bill Guerin basically said that this guy is just in pain right now and nobody knows it more than him that he's not playing well and they need to help him out of this. Um, it is obvious when you see him off the ice right now that he is lost. Um, you know, he, this is the first time in his life that anybody's ever been critical of him. First time in his life that he has been scoring on a consistent basis. And you do hope that right now he feels like a weight is off his shoulders and this is a totally a clean slate. Well, that weight only comes off his shoulders if he starts to produce. Right. And there are times where you just don't know how players are going to react until they face adversity for the first time. And this might be the longest stretch of adversity that he's ever faced. You don't know how guys are going to react to that. And that's why I wouldn't question the timing of when Minnesota signed Matt, because I think everybody was in agreement that when they locked him up, he looked like his trajectory was moving in a way where it was almost anybody who analyzed it said that by the end of this contract, this player is going to be way beyond what the value is. And I still think that's probably going to be the case. I'm not saying that all of a sudden it means the contract was a bust, but you just don't know how all of a sudden Some people look at it and say, oh, you get comfortable because you signed the big contract and now you're not playing with that same kind of edge. I look at it the other way that it might be the pressure that you feel like I signed this big deal. Now I have to score. 
I absolutely have to score because they're paying me all this money. And if I don't score, it's a, I'm the failure. I'm going to let the team down. And I think that might be what's happening with Boldy more than a comfort level that, Hey, now I'm set for life. I don't need to play with the same kind of grit, same kind of fire or anything like that, but he has to score. And he had, this is the, probably the longest he's gone without it. So let's see what happens. I think the other thing that's interesting is you get a lot of these guys. The only thing they've experienced in the national hockey league is a team coached by Dean Evison, real Kaprizov, Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy, all those guys, Brock Faber, they all fall under that umbrella. So this will be the first time they play a game with a different guy calling the shots behind the bench. You got to see how that, you never know how that's going to affect players and what they're, how it might affect them just from what they hear yep. between shifts when they come to the bench. Yeah. Um, you know, Kirill Kaprizov's another guy. I mean, he's just having an unbelievably down year um, despite his points. Um, you ask anybody that's watched this game and they, he is not the same player. Um, even, you know, even Bill Guerin talking about today, how he looked more like himself against Toronto and Colorado and Col- uh, tomorrow, Toronto and Colorado. He had a goal and assist against Colorado and he had no points against Toronto. He's had four multi-point games this year. He's not producing. They absolutely need him to produce. And maybe the Taylor hall effect can happen with Kirill Kaprizov. We'll see about that. Um, on the other hand, the role players, Marcos Johansson, one goal on the season, no shots, I think, in the last two games. Uh, Freddie Goudreau, no points in the season. Spurgeon, no points this season. Jared, Jake Middleton on the ice for a bunch of goals this season. Marcus Foligno, two goals this season. Hartman suspended, got off to a roaring start. He now has, like, one goal in his last, like, X amount of games. Um, there's a lot of players, uh, Anthony, that need to get a bump here and, and maybe... John can help provide that. Yeah. Caprizov has been off all year and we've talked about it on this pod. We've talked about it on our broadcast that he just doesn't, you don't see those game changing dominant shifts that we saw so often from him the last couple of seasons. And he, he claims he's healthy. The team claims he's healthy. No reason to believe he's not, but he's got 18 points in 19 games, but it, it hasn't passed the eye test in terms of like somebody tweeted changer. yesterday about Boldy too. He's what do you expect from him? He's got 0.67 points per game. You know, I expect more than one goal in 19 games. Right. You know, or whatever. It is. Yeah. Now he's only played 12 yeah, of those 19, but still that's a, a goal every 12 games. You're talking about a guy who's on pace for seven. Yeah. And <laughs> I think even in a down <laughs> year, people would have expected that he was going to score 20 to 25 in a down year. Yeah. And that the realistic goal for him was to build off of his 31 goals last season. I think you if you start to look at this roster and you say, what would have been fair to expect from people? Not hope, but expect. You could have said it's fair to expect Boldy's going to score 25 goals, mm-hmm. that Kaprizov's going to score 30. And you hope that Kaprizov gets to 40 and Boldy gets to 30 plus. But a fair expectation would have been that those two guys were going to combine for 55 to 60 goals minimum coming into the season. And right now they've got seven at roughly a quarter of the way through. So put the, figure that out when you start to look at all these games. The Wild have lost seven games by one goal. Well, those two guys alone are down about a half a goal a game from what would have been a, a very conservative guess coming into the season. They have to score. They have to be better, especially when you've got a team that's as tight to the cap and as limited depth-wise as they are. They're going to, you can't, you don't have the kind of depth options on your third and fourth line that can score mm-hmm. like some of these other teams do. You made the comment earlier. Last year when there were injuries in the playoffs, the Wild lose Eric Sinek and they have to pump Sam Steele up in the lineup. Dallas loses Joe Pavelski. They slide Tyler Sagan up a couple spots. That That's the difference between teams that had that extra $14 bucks with which to work. Absolutely. Um Patrick Dwyer is the new assistant coach to replace uh, Bob Woods, elevated um, from elevated from Iowa. Um, I have to look it up. I think he's the same Patrick Dwyer that had that viral clip several years ago. I actually sent it to West Walls two weeks ago because I started to get the impression that Dwyer could be up here if Bob lost his job. But he there was one play in Europe where um, a guy got a puck caught in his pants, and so he couldn't find the puck. So what he did is he just stuck his ass stuck in the net. The net. Yeah, yeah. It was it. This, I think it's the same Patrick Dwyer, right? I don't know. I got to look it up anyway, but I want to ask him about it when we get to meet him. 
Um, one interesting thing here, and I t- I, I've, I've, I've sent a query out because I didn't think about this during the press conference, and I'd like an answer to it, is, all right, so it makes all the sense to elevate him because right now, you know, there are unemployed assistant coaches that probably aren't the answer for this team to hire long term. And this summer, there's probably going to be 15 assistant coaches available. So it just makes the prudent thing to wait and just bring Patrick here for the end of the year and then go and have an assistant coaching search. But the problem is, is that he's the D coach down there. And you have all these very important D down there, the Ryan O'Rourke's, the Masters, the Spachicks, the Johansons, the uh, Lamboses, the Hunts. And now it doesn't, I don't, as far as I know, they haven't replaced them. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. It just makes sense that you got to replace them down there. Well, for sure. You have to replace them down there. And remember, that's a staff that is very yeah. early in their time together. Yeah. But in, Sammy Walker, no goals this year. 15 games or something? Yeah. It's, I haven't really followed what's going on in Iowa too, <laughs> all that closely. But it, you barely yeah, follow I mean, what's here. Well, no, I mean, but it, I just think it's a – You've put yourself in a spot now where by by reshuffling this, it's you got a staff down there under Brett McLean who's just getting his feet on the ground as a head coach in the American Hockey League. And now they gotta shake up that staff. And to your point, they're trying to develop some defensemen down there. But in every organization, the thing that matters most is what's happening up here in the National Hockey League. And if you need a guy to come up and oversee your penalty kill yeah. that you start there and then everything else you figure it out after from there down. And so we'll see what happens and see, I don't think we'll see any major changes tonight, but I think we'll see some subtle differences even as early as tomorrow when this team practices before heading for Nashville. Yep. Here's a word from Bosch law firm. Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch law firm and workcompexperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch law firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Anthony, tell us about Kowalski's. I was at your house for uh... for just a terrific Thanksgiving dinner. Actually, we had Thanksgiving steak. We did have Thanksgiving steak. I, I'm just not a big turkey fan, and <laughs> I always come back to that. If people really loved turkey and stuffing, uh-huh. we'd have it more than once a year. <laughs> you just would. And it, I'd rather have chicken than turkey. Yeah, but, but I know you love the quality. But in steak. this case, we had it was unbelievable. Actually, we had the Akaushi ribeyes, and when I went into the store, I I didn't really have a specific goal in mind. But when I walked in, they looked terrific. We had those plus the scallops that I've talked about on the show before. They're the the way that these scallops cook is terrific. They they stay moist. They don't shrink. They were awesome. We had two great meals actually over the Thanksgiving holiday. We had that on Thanksgiving Day, and then on the day after Thanksgiving, had some of AJ's friends in town and came over for dinner. And I made my first attempt at Swedish meatballs after we had had them so often in Stockholm, everybody went in Stockholm, they had meatballs on the menu. Went into an Italian restaurant, they had meatballs. So I went over to Kowalski's and picked up the ingredients for it and gave my first shot at it. Turned out great, a mix of pork and beef for the meatballs themselves. They didn't have lingonberries. They only had lingonberry jam, but they said they could get lingonberries for me. So that actually (laughs) brings me to the point I was going to make is that when you're heading into the holidays, Check it out because anything you want, if they don't have it, they'll get it for you and they'll have it ready for you. They'll, if you just go to the meat counter and say, Hey, on December 23rd, I need this. They'll take care of you. They'll have it ready. They'll have it boxed up packaged for you and ready to go. So it's a great spot to pick up. It's high quality food, but it's also the customer service that's second to none. And anytime I've got a big meal coming up, you can bet I'll be on deck. Kowalski's on my way home. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Do more with Royal Credit Union's mobile app. The Royal mobile app lets you receive real-time account alerts, deposit checks, send money to family and friends, pay bills, and more. It's quick and easy to manage your accounts from anywhere, and you can even log in with your fingerprint or face. 
Open your Royal Credit Union account and enjoy our top-rated mobile app. Learn how easy it is to get started with the Royal Credit Union mobile app at rcu.org slash go mobile. Insured by NCUA. Kowalski's have port wine? For sure they do. In fact, we just, I, I just, I love going in with the knowledge that their wine guys have too. And I work with the people in the, the North Oaks, the Shoreview, Kowalski's more than any other. But AJ just texted me recently and said, hey, it turns out his, his girlfriend's name is Ariana. He says, turns out she likes a wine called Gamay. And I wasn't familiar with it. I think I'd had it once. And I said, all I can remember is I thought it was from the Beaujolais region in France. So, but I said, I'll go talk to the guys at the Kowalski's wine shop. They'll know. I walk in and sure enough, the guy's got three options for me. And he said, yeah. And if you got something else that you want, let me know. I'll order it for you. We'll get it in here. I was like, right now, everything I know about Gamay wine is what you just told me in the last four sentences, but picked up a couple of good ones and they're just so helpful. Each time I walk in, they look, and they say, all right, let's see what we've got that you haven't tried yet. Yep. You haven't tried this one. Give this one a shot. And they've had nothing but good luck there. So it's, they're, they've been awesome. And I think you were, you had the Gamay wine with us that day. I know yeah. you had the Albarino too, that I really like. Excuse I me, just bought Spanish three bottles wine. of beret by the way. yesterday. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Well, good. Cause we depleted your cabinet with the one you brought over that night. All right. So that means you can get back on the invite list for another dinner because you, if you're, if your beret is restocked at the end, I just texted him. All right. Um, let's go for some Twitter questions. What do you think, Anthony? Sure. Uh, Can't Bruce wait to Siski. hear what they think. Bruce Siski, um, who's the most, uh, who's the winningest play by play guy in the state of Minnesota. That, that's somewhat accurate, right? Well, depends on how you define winning. Oh, more the wins. NCAA championship. Yeah. But dude, for sure. There've been more wins for other guys. <laughs> Uh, am I wrong to think it's a bit odd that Garen has been at, uh, here as long as he's been here and he hasn't once conducted an actual coaching search? I actually think that's a fair point. And, um, you know, it is one of those things where you know, he's been here five years. He obviously fired Bruce Boudreaux, whom he inherited for Dean Evason. And I, I thought it was weird that at least before, and maybe he did and we just don't know it, but I don't think he did, uh, you know, that before he shed the interim tag off Dean, he really didn't conduct a search. And even on this one, I think he knew, like, he thought about other guys, but he never talked to anybody else as far as we know. Yeah, the Dean thing I always thought was interesting because when Dean was named the interim coach that spring, I think we all just assumed that somebody else would be the permanent head coach when the next season started, unless he had some kind of remarkable playoff run. And I thought if that season had played out, he probably would have made the playoffs the way the team was was the trajectory the team was on. They wound up getting into the expanded playoffs. But I, I've always felt that the pandemic was probably the biggest reason why he became the head guy yeah. because he, he had, what was it, essentially four months where he was the head coach without coaching any games. And that time, during that time, it just seemed like he and Billy became closer and closer, tighter and tighter. And all of a sudden, as they get ready for that playoff series, I think Billy was more and more convinced that it was essentially like an interview for the summer while the team was shut down, as opposed to interviewing other guys and seeing mm-hmm. what, and I think he just realized that Dean saw the game the same way he did and it worked out great. In this case, I don't really know. I, I think my guess is Billy had a few guys in mind that he thought if something were to happen, these are the guys I'd be targeting. And don't think for a minute that this happened after they lost in Detroit on Sunday. And he said, Hmm, I wonder who should be the guy. Hey, my buddy, John's yeah, not no, coaching I mean, anywhere. Yeah. I mean, he for sure had, we'll never know for certain when those first conversations took place, yeah. but the thoughts for sure had taken place before that. Yeah. By the way, I just uh, sent a text to a Carolina hurricane source that said, Patrick uh, Dwyer, good dude. He goes, awesome, dude. Uh, great family. Uh, so looking forward to meeting him. Michael Scott uh, has, I've been hearing about renovations at Excel Energy Center being planned. Anything you're hoping to see a new press box location, which is hilarious. Um, actually, I will be writing a lot about this. Um, I, I don't want to get, I, I have had a number of, uh, I've had a sit down with, um, with uh, people on this story uh, when I was in Sweden um, and have some more to do. And we'll be writing about this in the next couple uh, weeks. Uh, it is a, a big topic here in Minnesota. 
It's going to be, it, it's very hard to explain how they're going to go about this, what they have to do to get it approved. Because remember, the city essentially owns the building, um, even though they run it. And uh, it's going to be a really fascinating project as long as they get the money to do it. Um, and uh, as far as the press box location, I actually don't mind the press box. Um, all right. A couple funny ones. Russo Slash goes, who are the next buyouts after the Parisi cap hits or not? <laughs> Parisi Studio cap hits are the way. And then uh, Jordan goes positive because I asked for positive questions only. He goes, what did Corey Perry do? <laughs> I don't know if that's a positive one. Um, let's see. I, I should have. Re- I didn't have time because Anthony was actually on time for a change. So I didn't have time to go through these Twitter That, that uh, is questions. the most ridiculous comment ever. I'm always on time. On t- I'm just not it, on time right, by you know very what? much. When the Wilds say they have a 1030 practice, the players show up at nine. On time to me means show up at least thirty seconds so, before like a podcast. Tonight, I've got a I have a six thirty pregame show, seven o'clock faceoff, and I like clockwork am in my booth at three forty five every single game right. day. Today I said we're gonna do the pod. I'll be there at three. So and you're at, on time. Two fifty, I was walking through the front gates. Uh-huh. At two fifty five, I was walking into my booth because I said I'd be here at three. Yeah. Okay. Walter Norris says, what happens Which to the prospects? Which I might add, I walked through the gates before you did. Well, that's because I walked to Starbucks. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Walter Norris said, what happened to the prospects? I actually uh, texted with him yesterday. Um, I told him that Dean Everson never uh, got the uh, luxury of getting a Nate Prosser uh, save the season bump like he has done a couple times to this wild. And that's uh, the Zach Bogosian one just didn't work as well as Nate Prosser did. Uh, Nate's working in the uh, public sector now. He's got a, a cool job going on. Um, home, home, Hoga Mad Dog or whatever uh, goes, what's going on with the surging Vancouver Canucks? Why are they suddenly playing well when they were so bad last season? Um, well, start with the guy behind the bench. Yep. He's been terrific there. And as all of a sudden they're playing, they're playing a game with tremendous structure. I haven't watched them a ton, but I did about two weeks ago. It just so happened they were playing late at night after the Wild had played. And I saw a couple of their games. They're getting great goaltending, so that's a part of it. That is to the point you made earlier. Show me a great coach, and it probably starts with great goaltending. Thatcher Demko's been terrific, but the way they're playing, the the pace with which they're playing, and the structure in their own zone, it is very unCanuck like from what we've seen over the last few years. Somebody asked, "Um, want to be a GM?" Asked, well, "What are the chances they bring back Dumba next year? They'll have a cap crunch, but Galagoski off, Flurry off, or Wallstadt." Zuccarello, almost $2 million cheaper. Um, you know, he's saying you don't have to give a big raise to do him and Jura. I'm not convinced they're going to be back. Anyway, I don't, you know, originally I thought, like, it made sense to bring Dumbo back, and I get that they miss him. I think they miss his energy. But at some point, don't you, Anthony, have to start seeing if Damon Hunt, Ryan Aurora, Carson Lambos could play? And the more you bring back guys like that, I just don't know how you do that. Like, at some point, we got to see these defensemen. Well, either that or if you've learned something that would lead you to believe those guys aren't going to be ready, then I'd say it's possible. But I think if those guys continue to continue on the trajectory that has them looking like they'll be ready to play in the NHL, you know that you've got four guys that are locked into those defensive spots in Middleton, Spurgeon, Brodine, and Faber. And that leaves you with two. I don't know that you necessarily would want to have two of those guys as your third set, but maybe one of those guys is a third pair guy. One of them is number seven, and that would leave you a veteran spot for the other spot on your third set of defensemen in the NHL. I'd say it's possible, but I somewhat unlikely. I, and it, who knows how bringing Dumba back after a year away, if he would have the same role within this room, maybe he would, but you've got a different head coach now you'd probably be asking the guy to come in and, and take a role of a lesser role where now you're a five, six D instead of a, a three or four where you're playing with your good buddy Brodeen. I don't know. I'm not sure it's as perfect a fit as it might appear from the outside. Um, they do me- miss his energy though. Yeah. There's no question. And I don't think he's playing well. And somebody told me he was being healthy scratch in Arizona. I don't know if that's true. I haven't paid attention to him, but I know he has not been playing great down there. I got I got a couple of texts from people in Arizona. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I'm like, I warned you. This is sometimes he makes inexplicable decisions on the ice. Um, and in Arizona, you really get to see that close up. Uh, Matty Ice goes, where? <laughs> I like this question, Anthony. 
And I, I, I'm not an ice cream person, but, and I don't think you are, but you might be able to answer this. Where's the best ice cream place you guys have been to? I've heard ice cream makes the pain go away. Well, the closest thing that I have would be gelato. And when we've been over in Italy, Sicily, uh, San, San Gimignano had like four of the places that had won world titles for gelato. So I'd say try that. If you're around here, I can't help you other than that. I will say the place over on Hennepin, uh, Sebastian Joe's is a spot that a few of the, my favorite restaurants in town get their ice cream from there. And so I've heard that's good. I'm not a big ice cream guy either, but I, I, I've tried other things to make the pain go away other than ice cream. Yeah. Uh, I've seen your cork barrel in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, leave it. I'll just leave it at that. By the way, it's like I you know that this barrel by the way is like gigantic, okay? And you know that they drink a lot of wine when Ariana says to Margo the other day, "What are you going to do when that fills up?" Because you're getting to the tippy top as your wife by the way put about 9 corks in there the other night. Well, we did go through some vino over the Thanksgiving week and uh, and last night had some friends over for the Vikes game. So I don't know. We've actually been looking at different things that when I've been in different places, I've texted Margo a picture and said, Hey, look what they did with corks. We could do that. And one of them was, we went to this little wine place on back-to-back trips to Manhattan. And it's one of my favorite little wine spots in Manhattan area. And they had made just the word wine out of corks on their wall that I thought was kind of cool. So I don't know. We'll have to come up with something when that, that barrel overflows. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll we'll come up with a plan. Do you think Ariana knows how often that she is spoken of on this podcast? Well, is there's no way she listens. There's no way she listens, but she does have some friends who listen. So I think she hears about it from time to time. Probably nothing worse than when she found when her old boyfriend found out she had a new boyfriend by listening to the pod. <laughs> yeah, that, that was one probably, time. That was <laughs> that, that might have been my fault. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry, the, the old boyfriend. I met the new boyfriend the other day. Nice guy. Yeah, he's a nice guy, and he's uh, he was got to be mortified when he comes over to your house and has to listen to you and me go back and forth. Though. Well, this was really the first time he had been with us for a family a dinner. full family dinner, and I guess he passed the test. He he's likely to be invited back for Christmas. Yeah, and I have was, a feeling he because one, it was very clear to me that he listened that he knows a lot about sports. That was yeah, that, that was I inferred that. But the other thing, I think he must listen to this pod or just know of me because he just kept kept on calling me Russo. And uh, I think that's because that's few, what Ariana calls you. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Ariana does call me Russo. She's yeah. never, ever. I don't Actually, think she knows my first I name. I think AJ and Vinny call you Russo. That is true. So I'm not sure anybody in my family calls you by your first Even name. Even when I used to like go to summer camp as a kid, people used to just call, call like, you scream Russo. Right I think people just find it a fun name to say. Yeah. Um, by the way, we were talking about ice cream. What is the, the name of the, what they have in Sicily again? The, like the... Not gelato. gelato, but they, it's like, uh, you know, like. Oh, the like, icy thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. The pistachio flavored was incredible. Did it start with a V? Uh, or an L? Uh, what was that called? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it, but yeah. I had it almost everywhere yeah. we went because it was the best thing ever when it was hot. It was, um, but it was, it was essentially crushed ice. It was like an icy except way better. And what in the world was that Granita. called? Granita. Granita, that's what yeah, it was. there you go. Get the pistachio. Um, all right, a couple I actually like the, the lemon, show. but it was it was terrific. Um, a couple more minutes in the show. Minnesota Paradise. I told you the Fiala thing was not a good idea, as as there as Brock Faber is playing twenty four minutes a night, like most ice time yeah. of a rookie. And I'll like tell you years. what, the think about that for a minute. And right now, Fiala's playing well in L.A. Had a good year last year. I'm not certain right now that. Very many in this league would make a straight-up trade of Brock Faber for Kevin Fiala. And as ridiculous as that might sound to some, well, first of all, remember that Minnesota also got a first-round pick out of that deal that ended up being Liam Ogren, who looks like he could be a good player too. But if you look at, especially if you take into, into effect the or take into consideration the contracts of these two players, mm-hmm. Faber for what he's making compared to Fiala for what he's making, and a guy who, at this point in his career, looks like he is going to be a top pair defenseman for a long time in the NHL. Would you make that trade right now, straight up? Um, I'll be honest, I wasn't listening. I'm aware. Okay, <laughs> so we'll take tweets. that as a yes. <laughs> no, the, the question was, like, yeah. would you straight up trade Brock Faber for Kevin Fiala? 
right now. Just those two players alone. The fact that you even have to think about it is what is the point I'm making. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't think it's a no-brainer that you would just say, who in the world would make that? No, No, I think there's some that would consider that. that I I think maybe the majority would still say I'd take Fiala, but it wouldn't be like a 90 to 10 majority. And then when you add to that the contract and the Mm -hmm. age, now I think you'd have, yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. would say I'd rather well, have I was Faber. watching Brock Faber. I, I was in a scrum today, but then I stood back from a scrum and just watched him. And I know I've said this to you before, but I'm convinced he's going to be the next captain of the wild. He is such a, a presence about him. He's so smart in the way he speaks. Like he should, he of all people, who's probably been their best player on this team this year, should not have to stand there and have to answer for Dean Evison being fired. And yet he did it and, and was so eloquent in the way that he spoke. It's just, it's crazy to me. He's and again, beyond I, his years, yeah, for yeah, sure. Like, I just watching him defend in Sweden, being having the great sight lines we had. Guy is so elite. Yeah, and there's still, there's some bumps for sure, and there were some like bumps PK. on that trip where some miscommunications with he and Brodine, but they're 19 games into playing together. And I think by the time we even get to the end of this season, and if you remember late last year, we were talking about when we saw Faber in the playoffs, and and it, the writing was on the wall that Dumbo was going to be gone, and we were talking about that Faber looks like the no-brainer to slide in next to Jonas Brodine. And I remember late in the season last year and through the summer this year, we talked about that maybe not opening night, but by the end of the year, the Wild would have a better deep pairing with Brodine and Faber than they did with Brodine and Dumba. Not talking about all the intangibles and off the ice, but just on the ice. And I think it's a week into the season they had a more reliable defensive pairing with those two guys. I, They've been terrific. He's been terrific. And I do think he's just mature beyond his years. We, we've told the story of Dean slipping and saying like the veteran presence of Brock Faber when you're talking about a guy who's 21 games into his NHL career. We got 136 questions. Let's do two more. Uh, one, uh, somebody asked, uh, what is one player past or present that each of you would want to bring on one of your uh, European vacations. Uh, as we've mentioned, we're going to Portugal this summer. DefinedDestinations.com. I'd bring Danny Heatley. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, he'd, add some, he'd add some color yeah. to the trip. Uh, subtle little one-liner jokes that would have yeah. people in stitches. It's and, funny. Uh, every time somebody asks me this question, like I have so many players that I have absolutely loved covering, um, but but... Every time anybody asks me a question like this, the first person that comes to mind is Brian Ralston. I don't know why. Like, he and I had such a great relationship with here. I think I've told this story a million times. His first day as a wild player was my first day covering the team. It was really also Miko Cuevas, but for his first day uh, after signing with the wild. And so, you know, when I looked at the wild roster and knew nobody, and I was like, I'm like, the only, the only guy I've ever really talked to in this room is Brian Ralston. So, like, he and I just became you know, really friendly. And I just loved covering him. I thought he's still to me, one of the best players that have ever played for this organization, three thirty goal seasons. That yeah, just doesn't happen. There's a whole bunch of great guys. I'm just thinking about it for a color. Yeah. For uh, fun. The, yeah. The other thing we could bring is Thomas Vanek. Cause then we could have he, he and Peter talk to each other since they sound exactly alike yeah, with true. the two Austrian yeah. accents. Yeah. Actually, if you're going to talk about like fun, I'd, I'd bring flurry. Although, although I'd be a little worried that the birthday boy would, would uh, prank us. All right. Final question of the show. Um, somebody wants to know how long am I going to continue to let you jinx the wild? <laughs> yeah. Well, you want to hear a real jinx that happened the other day? They're we're not playing, real. We're, we're so playing taboo. It's impossible. There's an ant. There's a, you know, I, game I didn't like, but although I actually wound up winning the, winning us the game because I did the last thing and I got three ants. You know, I was the, the, you were the hero, the, 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 the clue giver. Yeah. Um, but one of the things uh, I think, as Ariana was giving out some clues, you you it was obvious the answer was Jinx, and you just go Jinx, and I think that is proof positive that Jinxes are real. No, it, that, that doesn't I even mean, have anything the, to the, do with just it. the coincidence that it would go to you. Coincidences are real, and karma's real. Karma's real. Jinxes are not real. How is karma real, but Jinxes aren't real? You don't think there's karma? I think there's karma, and I think there's Jinxes. What like what? People who like say, right now, like, oh, you, you jinxed it. Well, like, here, do you really a good think example. that anything that ever gets said up here has any yes. kind of impact on what's well, happening this. on the ice? I think the Wild are going to get a shutout tonight. I guarantee you Gus gives up one goal at least. Well, oh, boy, there's a profound statement. Yeah. There you go. I jinxed the game. I mean, if I, if I had the power to jinx it, I'd say, you know what? There is no way anything other than a 9-0 St. Louis win happens tonight. 
jinx, that means the Wild are going to win. I mean, that's just dumb. It's ridiculous. The, I remember I had a guy, somebody, the it was the Wild had, remember that penalty kill streak they had last year? What was yeah, it, 23 yeah, or 24 yeah, in a row or yeah. something? And I think we had mentioned it. Every penalty kill since the streak got to 12, and maybe a couple times even before that. But once it got to 12, it was newsworthy. So every single time they went on the kill, Wild have killed 14 in a row. They've killed 15 in a row. They've killed 16 in a row. And on the 23rd or 24th, wherever it ended, they score. And I got some chowderhead on Twitter says, way to go, LaPanta. You guaranteed a goal by jinxing it. And I responded to the guy with, look, go back and watch the tape. We had already mentioned it the last 11 penalty kills in a row. How did we not jinx it on any of those? Yeah, that's a good point. If I had the power to jinx things to control what happened up here, Seems the like Wild would have won a few there. Stanley Cups already. The Twins would have won a few more World Series. The Vikes would be in the Super Bowl every year. I mean, I, I, I nobody way, somebody has, asks I who, wins a, who wins the championship first in town. Now it's got to be. We got to say if we're going to guess somebody, it's got to be the Timberwolves, right? I mean, they look legit. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about who the other teams in the NBA to have. I know they're playing well right now. It's a but, star power league, and they got a. Sh- a lot of star power. Yeah, they do, but there's a lot of other stuff that happens around Brandon there. We'll is going to be so proud of me that I didn't curse on this podcast despite my almost seven opportunities. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. I'm very proud. You were, you were the, the hero. Way, got, you were the like, hero of the show. Yeah. By the way, I got like 50 questions about Corey Perry, and some of them are legit not kidding. Do you think the Wild are going to pick him up on waivers? He's on waivers to get his, terminated, his contract terminated because he did something absolutely awful morality-wise for the most immoral organization in this sport's history. Yeah, I mean, like, really, imagine what you have to do to get kicked off the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't want to make light of whatever yeah. happened, but if with everything else that's happened there, for this to be the, the result, yeah. should tell you enough about what, yeah. what the level was that this reached. Yeah. And by the way, somebody asked me, he goes, weren't the Wild in on Corey Perry this year? And I, 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 I did say back to him, I'm like, yeah, I mean, they were in on him if you consider that in on him was one team offering him $4 million and the other team offering him seven fifty. We know why the Corey Perry chose the Blackhawks over here. I mean, it's it's that simple. I mean, the Wild were interested um, and obviously didn't sign him uh, for that very reason. Uh, and then a couple of days later, uh, traded for actually that day that he chose, um, or maybe the day after that he chose Chicago, the Wild acquired Pat Maroon. Okay. Thanks for everybody for listening. December 13th is our next show at Split Rocks, our live show next uh, at Split Rocks at 7 p.m. Thanks for joining us at the Aquarius Home Services Studio, your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning. Thanks to our sponsors, Bowen Lodge on Lake Winnebagoshish, Aquarius Home Services, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, Kowalski's, and Royal Credit Union. Obviously, uh, to Grain Belt and also the Tuttle, Tuttle's restaurants as well, Tuttle's, Elsie's and uh, Split Rocks. Thanks, everybody, and talk to you next week. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. All but the world.